Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Psalm 73, verse 1. It says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you will despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Who, am I, who have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who's, who desert you for harlotry, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I've put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so let's begin with a question, as we always do. The question this morning that I want us to begin to think about is simply, why do you believe what you believe about God? Think about this. We talked a couple weeks ago about what you believe about God. We said, what is God like? Who is he? What is he like? And how do you know? Okay. But this morning, I want you to think about whatever it is you believe about God, why do you believe it? Why do you believe it? Now, it could be because you have the gift of faith. That's a real thing in the Bible. We, we could probably all point out a person in our life, in our friend group, that is just uniquely gifted to confidently believe the things of God. Where they're like, wow, I want that kind of faith. You ever been inspired by someone's faith where it's like they, they really are convinced of these things about God? And that likely could be what it is. Uh, but there's another possibility here in terms of why you believe what you believe, which is maybe uh, more similar uh, to my story. I think God has given me, in, in some sense, uh, obviously he's given us all a certain measure of faith. But, but it's likely that the reason why you deeply, I would say, believe whatever it is you believe about God is because at some point or in multiple points, you have wrestled with it. You've wrestled with it. Um, you've thought about it. You, you've, you've, another way to think about this is like you've kicked the tires and you've really tested, is what I'm being told to believe true? I, I was... I was uniquely challenged with this at about 19 years old when I had uh, a complete um, interruption, a spiritual interruption in my life from God. I was headed, raised in the church, and wanted nothing to do with Jesus or the church or religion, any sort of organized religion altogether. I wanted, like, in my mind, I wanted, like, freedom and fun, like, get me away from that whole religious slavery thing. I'm not into that. And so that was my perspective. So I was like, I want to get as far away from that as possible. Um, And in my running from God, I I learned that God runs faster. That's what, what, he's fast, all right? Um, 
like Olympic qualifying first place fast. Like he, he's, he's quick. And so he, he chased me down in his love and he rescued my life. He completely transformed me, showed up in, in so many powerful and profound ways um, and w- was always pursuing me. I'd always felt that, that even when I was running from God, God was always there chasing after me in his love. I always felt like that one lost sheep, like here I am, always lost. And God is like, it's okay, I'm a shepherd. Um, God completely transformed my life. Now, as I said, it was this interruption. I was like on a hard course away from God. Um, 18, 17, eight years, uh, eight, 18 years old, I don't know if many of you might not know this, but I was in a boys' correctional program for 14 years. Uh, basically, the long story short is my parents had no ability to control me or my decisions or behavior, so they had to put me in someone else's control, essentially. Um, you know, just think like holes <laughs> with Jesus a little bit um, and a few other complications, but it wasn't perfect. But nonetheless, it's where God had me for, for a season of my life, and it was in this season of like my life that my, my heart really hardened towards the Lord even more. And the more that someone, like, you know, you ever had someone, like, try to, like, convince you to see that movie or eat that food, and you're like, I don't like those kinds of movies. I don't like that kind of country music. I don't like that kind of food. And, like, the more they force it on you, it's almost like the less you want to eat it. And I kind of felt that way. Um, Until I, kind of long story short is, um, I surrendered to that inward voice of the Spirit calling me back to Jesus. That's the kind of spiritual version of my story. Uh, but long story short, I had a complete conversion. My eyes, I, I kind of, I feel a little bit like, like Paul. I had this moment where the eyes of my understanding were enlightened. My eyes were just opened. Like Paul, I had these scales fall off. I was blinded, but then I just saw Jesus and the gospel and I just believed God in what Christ had done uh, for me through him. And what was interesting about this is when I kind of came public with that at 19 years old, I had all sorts of uh, people scratching their heads. Like, what are you doing, Andrew? Like, you're the rebel, pothead, you know, anti-religious skateboarder guy that like wanted nothing to do with religion. And now all of a sudden you're passionate about Jesus. Now one friend in particular, I remember he was in my program and he messaged me. And he was, and I remember me and this guy, we would have these deep philosophical conversations doing everything we could to disprove the existence of God, to invalidate the church, the Bible, the story of Jesus. And I was kind of there, I was like, you know, you know those like angry atheists, the angry agnostics, which it's like, I don't know if this is a belief issue. This sounds like a heart issue. It sounds like you're upset with some things. It's, it's weird. Like, I remember Matt Chandler describes these, the kind of modern atheism that's like, they want to, like, they want to evangelize people into the belief of nothing. Like, come on, you got to believe this. Nothing. It's like, okay, they're like really passionate. And I, I was kind of getting there. It was interesting how angry I was at a God I didn't believe in. Right? You might be mad at someone that's there, okay? Uh, And I remember having these deep conversations with people about, you know, why I was running from the Lord, why I was running from the church, or why I wanted nothing to do with that, and really was running. Uh, One Facebook message in particular, I remember this. It might have been MySpace. It was back in the day. Probably was MySpace, rest in peace. But um, I got a Facebook message from a friend named Justin, and he was simply like, what? Like, and he, he asked me this question flat. He's like, hey, I remember you being so staunchly against the Christian faith. Like, you, you refused to believe it. You refused to trust it. And he, and he asked this question, what happened? Why do you believe it? Now, I, I gave my best attempt as, like, a 19-year-old new Christian to, like, just, like, probably plagiarize Ravi Zacharias and, you know, or something. Like, here, you know, and, like, whatever this means, you know, um, uh, you know, and like, I think I referenced like a book or something, and I, sh- I shared like my story a bit, you know, I kind of gave my testimony of how God met me, but I- I'll never forget what that, that confrontation, what that question provoked me to do, which was to really seek out the answer to that question, to really wrestle with why I believe what I now believe about God. I, I want to ask you, have you ever wrestled? H- have you ever kicked the tires? Have you gone through the process 
where you've actually said, God, I, I want you to show me if this is true or not. So important, especially for those of us raised in the church. I, I think what, what, what can happen if you don't do that is you actually don't really have a genuine faith. You just have assumption and presumption about what people have told you. And it's surface level. And maybe you feel that in your life. Maybe you feel like you have a surface level spirituality, a surface level Christianity. And, it, and maybe it's because your faith isn't your faith. It's your parents' faith. It's your grandparents' faith. It's your church's faith. It's your pastor's faith. It's your friend's faith. And what I want to advocate for and what Psalm 73 advocates for, what I've experienced in my life, is just, listen, the importance, the value of wrestling with the truth of God, wrestling with it, working it out, kicking the tires, asking, why do I believe this? And the reason why I feel like I need to push this is, as I kind of found this, I don't think, and I was going to say I don't believe, but I, I think I'm convinced of this, um, I think we could all agree. I just don't know if there's enough room in the church today for people to wrestle. Hear and believe, hear and believe, hear and believe. Now, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? We, you know, every Sunday I don't get up and we don't have like a big corporate conversation. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, there's proclamation of God's word and that's how the spirit of God downloads this to each other's hearts. But there needs to be room in the church for us to wrestle with what we're hearing. To be what the Bible describes as these men, they're called Bereans in the book of Acts. Who they don't just hear everything that they're being told, but they search it out in the scripture. They search it out in prayer and in life to really go, what's true? What's really true? Um, I feel like sometimes we're afraid. Maybe our faith isn't strong enough to handle other people's questioning. Maybe, maybe we are afraid of the questions that we're avoiding. And so when people come to us with hard questions, we're like, ah, don't ask that. Why? Because you're like, I've been thinking that too, right? And so I just want to advocate for that here at Solace, that we want to be a community where, listen, we're not afraid of people asking questions because we're convinced that the truth of God always prevails. Let me say that again. We're not afraid of asking hard questions. We're not afraid of wrestling with the truth because as the, the author of 1 Peter says, the word of God endures forever. Remember Gamaliel, the, 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 the ancient uh, pharisaical teacher and religious leader in Israel. When the Christian movement was taking off and everyone was trying to fight against it, he just said, listen, back off. If it's of God, it's going to prevail. And look at us here today in 2021 studying the words of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said about the Bible that um, Scripture, though we want to employ apologetics, he said Scripture is like a lion. You, you, all you got to do is let it out of the cage. I love that. Like, don't leave the lion alone. Don't ask questions about the lion. Just let the lion be a lion. Let the truth prevail. And so... Um, man, the reason why I want us to be a community at Solace and why I, I want us to continue to move towards this in our own personal lives, uh, being a, a church that has room to wrestle with what's true, is ultimately, I want to say this, the reason why we need to make room for people to wrestle is because God makes room for that. God makes room for that. Jesus makes room for that. I, I think of Jesus on the in Matthew 28, he's resurrected from the dead. Like, if you didn't believe his message before, you better believe it now, disciples. And you'd imagine that all the doubting is going away and all the skepticism, all the wrestling, all the questions are gone. And Jesus is up there with his disciples. And he's about to commission them into the world to start this movement that will spread to Boca Raton, Florida one day. And he's going to commission them to, to make disciples of all nations. And the Bible says that he's up there on the mountain. And they were all together worshiping. And it says this, and some doubted. Some were with the resurrected Jesus still wrestling with whether or not it was true. And yet he still commissioned them. Yet he still called them his followers. Yet he still welcomed them into that process. Um, you don't have to look any further than where we are today in Psalm 73. Psalm 73 lays out for us how much room there is with God to wrestle. Uh, in this chapter, we have laid out for us almost like the journal entry of someone's spiritual wrestle. Okay? Uh, what's so unique about this, though, is that this guy who's doing it, he's not like a new Christian wrestling through these things. 
He's not like even a volunteer at the church on the greeting team or something. Like, this is the guy. He's actually the chief musician. This is Ben Easton is who this is, okay? Um, th- this is a guy who's, who's actually, and it's beyond that. This guy is the chief musician of all of Israel. His name is Asaph. And, and Asaph is a spiritual leader, and even a spiritual leader is wrestling with some things. Even a spiritual leader is on this journey to where he's being honest about what he's struggling with and, and what he's wrestling with. And if you saw it in the text, and we'll, we'll get into this, but specifically, Asaph in this passage, Psalm 73, uh, is wrestling with this specific thing. I wonder if this is one of your wrestles. Here's the wrestle. He's wrestling with how well it's going for the wicked and the ungodly and how bad it's going for the righteous and the just. You ever wrestle with that? What's the big question? Like, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Like, that's not Asaph's question. He's like, why do good things happen to bad people? He's, he's like, God, what's up with this? Now, what's really cool about this passage, and, and I'm, I'm really thankful for um, where this goes, uh, because it's so much more than just an example of wrestling and kind of a permission for us to wrestle. But what Psalm 73 gives us is actually a blueprint for how to wrestle well. Um, You could say, as the sermon title implied, the right way to wrestle. In this passage, uh, I want you to think about this idea. This is a big concept. You might want to write this down. I don't have it on the screen or anything, but but just latch on to this idea. In this passage, we have a blueprint of someone who wrestles in such a way that their faith in God is deepened and not destroyed in the struggle. We have a blueprint of someone who wrestles in such a way that their faith of God is deepened and not destroyed. Can I say that's the point of the wrestle? It's to get stronger, right? You ever seen like a wrestler? They're some of the most fit, formed athletes out there. It's an anaerobic exercise. And that's what we want to do. We want to grow stronger in our faith through that, that wrestle. And, you know, it's... I'm saying this kind of like to the church, like judgment begins in the house of God. But there's probably another side of this that's like addressing, there's a handful of, I would say, like millennials right now who are like, amen, right? Believe in those things, just believe in whatever my parents taught me, you know? And it's, it, this is actually really popular today. And there's another side of this that's super dangerous where it's like the big deconstruction movement is happening right now where we're like, we're, you know, maybe because one brick is cracked in our spiritual wall, we just demo the whole wall. And we call it deconstruction, but it's really demolition, okay? And, and, and what I see happen a lot with, with people in their faith is they, in the name of deconstruction, they just are demolishing everything about God, and then they just kind of sit there in this pile of rubble. Like, I've questioned everything. I'm more sincere now. It's like, you're sincerely stuck. You've sincerely knocked out the whole wall. You've sincerely pulled out the floor. You've sincerely criticized everything about God without ever criticizing yourself and everything you've been taught. So there's a right and wrong way to do this is what I'm saying. There's a right and wrong way to wrestle. There's a way to wrestle that will destroy your faith. There's a way to wrestle that will deepen your faith, will transform your faith. And I want to say that I'm a product of this wrestle. I'm a wrestler. I'm certainly a spiritual wrestler. This is probably what drives most of like my close friends crazy. Is I'm I'm not really dogmatic. Uh, okay, hold on. That was pretty dogmatic to say that, wasn't it? Um, I'm dogmatic until I disagree with my dogmatism. I'll be I'll be like, this is true, and then I'll be like, maybe it's not. So we'll have these like team meetings and Kyle will just like hang his head. I'll be like, so I think we should do this. And then and I'll, and I'll, so I'll like build this whole thing up and I'll, then I'll come around to this side and be like, here's everything that's wrong with that. And everyone's like, so what are we going to do? You know, <laughs> like, so I, I just want to say that this is my tendency to go through this stuff. But what a great blueprint here. Let's, let's, um, let's get into the Bible. How about that? All right. So let's, let's walk through this passage. And I want us to look at in this passage, this blueprint of Asaph wrestling in the right way that produced to a deeper faith and not a destroyed faith. Okay, first, let's observe this. Let's observe where he begins, and it's with an honest moment of weakness. This is where he begins in this spiritual wrestle. He begins with an honest moment of weakness. In verses 1 and 2, 
Asaph has an honest moment of weakness. He says this. He says, truly God is good to Israel and to such who are pure in heart. Asaph is declaring what he knows about God. He's like, truly, it's true. I believe this. I know it's true. I've been told it's true. I've thought about it. You know, to some degree, this is true. So he's like, here's a true thing. God is good. Notice the next verse. But, right? You ever had that? I believe God is good, but there's an issue over here. He says, but as for me, and he's going to go on to describe this. He says, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Notice what he says about what he slipped into. He says, for I became or I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So, so this is just a beautiful moment here where Asaph is being real and honest about a weak point in his faith. And, and I just want to start by saying that um, we need to do this more. Okay? Um, the only way to walk with Jesus is honestly. It's the only road to what Jesus has with you. Honesty with yourself, honesty with others, honest, honesty with God. Honesty is like the central pillar of spiritual growth. You've got to be real about it. You've got to be real about where you are. You've got, to be, you've got to be honest. And I love that he starts this way. He starts honestly. I mean, an honest, listen to this, a spiritual leader being honest about his weaknesses. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that rare? I mean, I, like I grew up in a culture where like the best spiritual leader was the strongest among us. How do you lead? With your strengths. Now, there's a truth to to the calling to leadership, and you could really only take people as far as you go, so I get the responsibility of that. But there's another way that you can influence people that I think is equally, if not more, influential than just impressing them with your strengths. And it's by inviting them close with your weaknesses. So Craig Rochelle kind of explains this. He's, he's great with leadership and church stuff. Craig Rochelle says this. He says that we may impress people with our strengths, he says, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. Have you ever experienced this? Usually what this looks like is somebody, like, um, somebody confesses or they open up or they're honest about something that they struggle with and you're like, oh, I'm not alone. And, and you go like this, you go, you too? C.S. Lewis says that that is actually the foundation of every deep relationship is that expression. You too? Wait, you, wait, you too? You sinned? You too? Right? Me too, right? <laughs> you struggle with this? Now, there's a dangerous place where you go, you don't like them? <laughs> you too? <laughs> you know, like, there's a dangerous part there. We don't want to do that, right? But, but we're talking about a sense in which you're being honest. Here's the idea. You're honest about your weaknesses, like, I'm, I'm learning this more and more that, that listen, I need to inspire our, our church by living up to a level of spiritual strength that God calls me to as our pastor. But the, the best of man is still man at best. And, and I've, some of the, the, the mentors I have in my, in my life have really helped me come to grips with this and become a, a more gospel-centered pastor. I've learned this. Like, the best gift I could give to you as your pastor is to be a fellow sick person with you in need of Jesus. To be a fellow sinner saved by grace. It's been well said that the ministry is this. Here's a ministry. It's, um, it's a beggar showing other beggars where to get the bread. It's a sick person showing other sick people who the healer is and who Jesus is. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for being an unhealthy pastor uh, across the board. But I am saying there's something profound about when we begin to lead and connect with each other by becoming vulnerable and honest about our weaknesses. I can impress you with my gifts and my strength, but I can inspire you, invite you close, and, and connect with you in a way as your leader when, when I say, yeah, me too, you too. And, and it's important, by the way, it's important to have relationships like this. I, I would hope that you have people in your life that, are, that they can be honest about their weaknesses and you can be honest about your weaknesses. In fact, it's so much like when Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 12, like talk about spiritual leaders, the apostle Paul. Uh, Paul doesn't just say, hey, we should every now and then like open up the curtain and be like, I have weaknesses, right? In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, he goes, I boast in my weakness. Isn't that amazing? He's like, I brag about how much I fall short. 
I boast in the thing in my life that needs Jesus so that grace may be manifested, so that grace may apply. So I just love that Asaph begins with an honest moment of weakness here. He's being real. He's being honest. He's like, listen, here, here's what I'm going to be honest about. I, I was raised to know that God is good. I was raised to believe that God is good to, good to me, good to Israel. I, I believe that that's true. But he goes, but I almost slipped away and stumbled into, and, and here's what he slips into. This is what he describes here in this passage, his weakness. It's not that he just like almost slips into sin. That's not what he's saying. I didn't just slip into a bad mistake. Bad mistake. That's, there's a kind of slip that involves that. But, but the kind of slipping and stumbling that he's saying almost happened to him is Asaph is saying here that I was almost tempted to abandon God and live a godless life. That's what he says here. I almost slipped into a life of complete godless living. And he says this. Here's what I began to do. I, I became envious of the boastful. I was looking on at them like I'm in the church. I'm looking out there like, hey, praise the Lord. You're having fun, huh? Hey, what do you, you slept in on Sunday? Cool. <laughs> Me? No, I was up early. It's 7 a.m. I had to set up the church. Yeah, I was there setting it up. You know, and it's like, and notice what he says. He goes, I became envious of the boastful. Here's the key word, right? When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Isn't that usually where that slip begins to come when we take our eyes off of Jesus? We begin to look on, and can I tell you, like, um, in, in today's culture, you don't have to walk outside your door and go to the market, go to the city you know, center to see the boastful to see and, and be tempted. All you got to do, you sit on your couch at home with your Bible on your lap and you pull out your phone. And in that moment, you're suddenly distracted from who Jesus is and you're tempted away from the life he has for you. He goes, I, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes, and I almost slipped. I know that God is good, but, but I, he, he's being honest about his weakness. This is a spiritual leader. Imagine if I started a sermon like this one week. Hey, guys, I just want to say good morning. Welcome to Solis. Hey, I just got to be real with you. Hey, good morning. Love you. All right, we're going to study the Bible. You know, this week wasn't a good week for me. Um, at one point this week, like, I was tempted to just, like, quit my family and the church completely and just leave um, and just give up on my faith. And, and I, was, I was thinking about, like, maybe I'll just be a godless person. I was thinking about that, you know, this week. Like, imagine that. You'd be like, Okay. You good? Like, you good, bro, right? Like, that's what Asaph's doing. He's like, I almost slipped and completely gave up. But what an honest man. That's so helpful. Just be real. There's room for that. There's room. Listen, because listen, if all you do is ask that question in private, it's going to destroy you. He's like putting it out there. You know, he probably needs people to speak into it, but he unpacks it. So he describes what he's struggling with, all right? So he's looking on at the wicked and how they're prospering. And he's wrestling with this in light of the goodness of God. He says this about them. He's looking on at the, at the prospering wicked, and here, here's, here's what he says. He goes, he's observing their lives. First, he says, there's no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. A Asaph is looking around him, and he's seeing righteous people dying painful deaths. And he looks on at wicked, messed up, godless people, and he sees them living strong with health. It's like, that'll mess up your theology, won't it? He says, they're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like everybody else. They're healthy. They're fine. It says, therefore, and, and, he, and this is what's interesting, he kind of begins to, he describes the condition of, your, of their life, and all throughout this, he, he like kind of parallels the condition of their life and the character of their, of their heart. So he's like, this is the condition, and he's kind of describing this person who's got a really good life but a messed up heart. And he says, Therefore, pride serves as their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. So he's describing their character. He's like, they are clothed in arrogance, pride, and he says even violence. He goes on to describe them. Look at this beautiful poetic language. Their eyes bulge with abundance. I can't help but think of that Guinness World Record lady who, like, popped her eyeballs out of her head. You too, right? It's like, this guy's so weird, right? All right. <laughs> Their, uh, that's my weakness, honest moment of weakness. Their eyes bulge with abundance. Look, at, they have more than the heart can wish. More than the heart can wish. Oh, oh some, some of us are really hoping for that in life. Um, God, I just want one thing that my heart wishes. Oh, to be like someone, for a lot of us, this is our idol, this is our God. I just want to be like someone who could have more than my heart could ever wish. 
It says this, though, kind of back and forth again between their life and their character. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. So their, their heart, this is how wicked their heart is. When they hear about injustice and oppression, they speak wickedly about it. They don't have tender hearts like God, and they don't, they, they don't break for what breaks God's heart, but they're, they're wicked and they're evil concerning it. They speak loftily. They, notice this. Now they, he's describing how they even defy God. God, you're good, but look, what is this? They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Isn't that beautiful language to basically say they're allowed to say whatever they want? You ever felt this, by the way? You're like, God, why is their tongue allowed to walk loose on this earth? Would you bind their tongue and make it captive to, like, the pound? Okay? It's just roaming free like a wild animal. This is, like... You know, we grew up in the sticks and stones may break my bones. Words may never hurt me. You know, words don't matter. Words matter because ideas matter. And um, there's a lot. Like, I feel this in our culture, in our country. People that have platforms to just let their tongues run wild and people latch onto it and go with it. And it's like, you ever wrestled? God, will you please do something about this? Like, so, so he's wrestling with this. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. And it just seems like it's completely out of God's control. Therefore, his people return here, and, and as waters of a full cup are drained by them. So there are, this is the verse that I was like, what does this mean? Just so you know, I don't understand every verse in the Bible, okay? Therefore, his people return, let's try to read it together, okay? Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. Okay? Now, I'll help you out. I read, I read a little bit, okay? Um, some commentaries, a lot of different opinions about this. Basically, the, the, now, if there's one way to, to kind of summarize what this is saying, is that they drain people. As waters of a full cup, you, you know, you, you have someone like that at work. You just spend time with the Lord, and you're like, cup runneth over, Lord. Good morning. You, you get in traffic. It's like, Go, by the way, go around Boca. Try to do that. Like, no, don't go to West Boca. That's even worse. Um, the only way out is through. You got to go right through Boca. And, and, and all of a sudden, it's like, and then you get to work, and it's like they drain your cup, and you're struggling with that. So that's the idea here. People return, and they get their cups drained by them. They're draining. They're not fountains. They're drains. And they say this. Now, notice the spiritual nature of their hearts. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Now, they're not asking this spiritually. They're asking this defiantly. They're going, what is, they're literally saying this. What does God know? That's what they're saying. I do what I want. I run freely. I step over whoever I want. I get whatever I want. This is, by the way, this is, we're kind of joking about this, Russell. I have friends that have completely abandoned their faith because they can't reconcile how people are allowed to do this and there still be a God. How could, like, how could God allow that to happen? How could, like, how could God allow someone to just live the life their way, the way that they're living, hurting everybody around them with their tongue running wild, and, and this is the posture of their heart? What does God even know? Is there even knowledge? He says this. Is there knowledge in the Most High? Does God even know anything? That's what they're saying. What does God know? Um, Asaph says, behold, these are the ungodly, and they're always at ease, and they increase in riches. They have a great life. Like, some, like I'm, some of us are praying for this. God, I just, even just, God, can I just be at ease? And it's looking on at the ungodly, and because of their circumstances, they're at, at ease, and they increase in reach, riches. And, and so, now notice this. As Asaph is making these observations, here's what he begins to say. He's, he's being honest, right? He's like, I'm just going to unfiltered tell you how I feel right now. And he says this, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and I have washed my hands in innocence. Um, the key word there is in vain. Asaph is saying to himself, why am I even a Christian? Why am I remaining committed to God? When the more I, it's like, I was sold that if you follow Jesus, things will be better. You know, like he was this like, you know, trans it was like this transactional thing. Like, I'll give you my life, and you give me a good life. And, but I look around me, and, and the righteous are suffering. I'm suffering. I can't get a break, God. 
there's like this frustration. And, and then he looks around them. It's like, those people haven't honored you. Those people aren't committed to you. Those people don't love you, serve you, or serve others. And yet they're prospering. They're at ease. Their life is good. And he goes, this is all, what am I doing? He says, he says this. He goes, am I just wasting my time following you, Lord? Imagine if I said that on a Sunday morning. Guys, I feel like, sometimes I feel like I'm wasting time following God. Anybody else? <laughs> it's like, that's what he's doing. He's being so honest about this. He's being honest about what his heart is sensing, what his heart is feeling. It's okay to be honest about your struggle. The next thing we have is what we all need in this passage. He goes from that honest moment of weakness. Notice how he ends up, this leads to an enlightening moment of clarity. Okay. So you've got to, you can't um, circumnavigate the thing you're wrestling with. Okay. Um, we've said this especially about the Psalms, that God's presence is not a place to bypass what you're wrestling with. It's a place to process and wrestle with those things. It's a place to bring that before God. And so we see he brings it there. But, but I love that, that he, he moves beyond just what he's feeling. This is so important. So he's real about how he feels. But notice what he says this. I love this verse. In verse 15, he says, if I said, I will speak thus. In other words, if I, if I said, hey, I'm going to preach a sermon. That's what he says. If I said, I'm going to preach now. He said, behold, even though this is how I feel. He says, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Um, so he's honest about this is how I legitimately feel, but he's starting to recognize maybe how I feel isn't the full truth. You ever been trapped under the narrative of your feelings? You ever been bound to only believe what you're feeling and what you're sensing and what you're perceiving? This is where a lot of us can find ourselves. But I love that it begins by admitting this. Like, you have to start in your deconstruction, you have to start with an admission that you're not the first person to wrestle with what you're wrestling with, and you're not the smartest either. There's people way, um, you know, way, uh, way longer ago that wrestled with a lot of this stuff and way smarter than us. We're not the only one. Your, your feelings are not the final authority on what's true or not. And so he says this. He's like, if I were to have just concluded my life here in my wrestle, got up and preached a sermon, he says, to the children's ministry, I would have been preaching a false message if I just preached my feelings, if I'd allowed my feelings to be the authority. He goes on to say this. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. So this is where he's at. He's in the wrestle, and he's like losing, okay? He's getting pinned down. He's tapping out. God, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. I'm not going to, you know, and this is one of the things that frustrates me is people like, people who have big platforms and they're wrestling with things and they're broadcasting their sermons through the internet to people to wrestle. It's like, you're just preaching how you're feeling to people and it leads a ton of people astray. I've seen this, especially with people that walk away from the church and they're deconstructing, deconverting. And they're like, I don't even know what I believe. So come listen to me. It's like, get off the internet, go figure it out, and then maybe come back and we'll talk. You know, you're falling off a spiritual cliff. Don't grab everyone else around you. And this, Asaph is like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wrestle, but I'm not going to get up and preach a sermon and how I'm feeling and where I'm at. I'm in process right now. And he goes, I was stuck in this process for a while. When I thought how to understand this, he's like, it was just too painful for me. He says, I was stuck, and it hurt to be stuck, and there wasn't a way forward, and I was losing the wrestle. Until I went to the sanctuary of God. Until, until I moved out of my feelings. Until I moved into some solutions. Until I was willing to not just ask hard questions, that's popular, but get this, I was also willing to hear hard answers. Everyone loves to question everything, but nobody wants an actual answer. I love that. Like, I, I, when I'm speaking with people that are wrestling with faith, they'll be like, here's my question. I'm like, okay, well, here's an answer. Well, here's another question. I'm like, what about the answer? Do you know what I mean? And, and really, this just kind of shows how much it's rooted in feeling. It's rooted in, in, in this kind of um, 
anti-authorian, like I don't want to submit to any other authority. I am my own authority, postmodernism, individualism. Um, I am my own God. It's actually idolatry is what it is. But Asaph models for us the right way to wrestle. Listen, it's okay to be honest about your moment of weakness, but God has more for you than your wrestle. God wants you to experience clarity. God wants you to wrestle through your life so that your faith is your own. There's a way to wrestle that's, that's not leading to destruction but to deepening. And it's done when you pursue what God wants to give you in clarity. And, and here's, I love this, um, in a simple set, kind of like in a simple expression of this, uh, uh, Asaph says this. He goes, I was really wrestling with these things about God, he goes, until I went to church. I love that. That's so simple. It's like, wh what do I need in my life more? You just, like, go to church more. Like, go to church. Like, show up to church on time. But show up, though. If, you, if you're late, fine. Just show up, okay? Just come to church. Come to the sanctuary of God. Because when I came to the sanctuary of God, I had this enlightening moment of clarity. It, it, nothing made sense until I came into the presence of God with the people of God. The second I came into the presence of God with the people of God, I, I began to understand. Then I started to understand things. You know, that's really, you know, that's my hope. That's our heart. That's why we gather every Sunday. That's why we have the sanctuary of God here in Don Estridge Middle School. This ain't a middle school. This is a sanctuary. This is a sacred space that, that we come together to meet with God. And, and we go through different things. We, we have different practices because we're wrestling, guys. You're wrestling and you need clarity. It's why we worship, okay? That's not a pragmatic way to start the service so people can come into like a, a background track. Before the message. No, we worship because we need clarity. Because when I worship, I am connecting with the truth about God. I say I believe. And, I'm, and things are clarified. We, we pray. This is why we pray. Because we need God's clarity. It's why we study the scriptures. It's why we open up the Bible. Because we say, God, we feel some things, but our feelings aren't the final authority. Your word is what's true. Your word is what enlightens my eyes. So, God, we're coming to you with what we're wrestling with, but we're inviting you to fill in those spaces with what's true so that we can build our entire lives upon it. We don't, we don't want to be those that build our lives on fleeting feelings and emotions. We want to build our lives upon what you have said and what's established for eternity. So we spend time in God's word. And can I say this too? Like, we spend time in community and fellowship. Like, um, church doesn't exist to be a sermon delivery mechanism. That's not why you're here. If that was the case, we'd stay online. Which, you know, we, we, by the way, we didn't go online out of, out of a conviction, like this is the way to do church. We had to go online out of concession. Stupid government won't let us have our building, okay? Sorry. <laughs> Moment of weakness, okay? The government, God bless them. Um, We need to be together. We've needed to be together. Next week, you can't be alone. Today, you can't walk with Jesus alone. Not only shouldn't you, you can't. You can't do it. Like, a lot of you, the reason why you're stuck in your wrestle is because you're wrestling alone. Why are you doing that? You're not strong enough to overcome that. You know, there, there are, let me say this. There are perspectives about what you're wrestling with right now that you will miss if it's only how you see it. That's why you need people speaking into your life. That's why you need to be honest. That's why you need community. That's why we need relationship. That's why this is more than filling seats. This is about being a family of people saved by Jesus, following him together and figuring out how to do that. Community, honesty. When I came into the sanctuary of God, whatever that looked like for Asaph, it, it had to include some of God's truth or God's people enlightening how he saw it. And it's amazing how the enlightenment, it, it, the, the moment of clarity he had, it began to change everything about how he was seeing. So, so first thing, this is really interesting, he begins to see the wicked differently. Um, he he kind of describes this, how, how, how he, he looked on at the wicked and, and he says this. He goes, then I understood their end. I love that. I was looking at their life. I was forgetting their end. I, I was looking at a life without God and thinking that was it. I was forgetting that, that a life without God leads to an end without God. 
And as good as a life without God is, there is no good thing to an end without God. This is as good as it'll ever be. For the Christian, we know the opposite is true. This is as hard as it'll ever be. Good times for eternity. But he goes, when I came to the house of God, I started to think clearly again about the wicked. I started to understand their end. He's like, surely you've set them in slippery places. He goes, I'm not the one slipping up. They're the ones that are going to slip up. And they're going to slip into destruction. You cast them down to destruction. This is speaking of God's holy, righteous judgment. This is speaking about simply like where sin leads to destructive places. Oh, how they're brought to desolation as in a moment they're utterly consumed with terrors. It might look good today, but there is no getting away from the end result of the course of sin. As good as it might be for now, the end is destruction. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in destruction. And this isn't just Asaph. This is Jesus. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. This is Paul. Remember we just studied Philippians? Remember what Paul said in Philippians 3? Brethren, join in following my example. Note, the, note those who so walk, as you have for us as a pattern. He says in Philippians 3.18, For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now I even tell you weeping, that they're living their lives as enemies of God and enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says this about them. Their end is destruction. This is just true. And, and, and this is the perspective. Because of sin, this is the reality that that Asaph comes to as he begins to see things clearly. Now, he doesn't just have a moment of clarity regarding the wicked who are living their lives apart from God. He also has a moment of clarity about himself. And I love this. Like, this is kind of the, the big trend today in deconstructionism and taking apart everything in the Christian faith is like we, rec we critique everything and everyone except ourselves. We never ask the question, maybe I was a part of the problem. Maybe I didn't interpret that right. Maybe, maybe I misunderstood that. Maybe my sinful proclivities prefer, uh, lead me to prefer certain truths over others. We don't, we don't do that as often. But, but when Asaph came into the house of God, he begins to think clearly about the world apart from God. And then he begins to think clearly about himself. He says this. It's pretty interesting. Uh, he says, I was foolish and ignorant. He goes, I was like a beast before you. He's like... And it's interesting here. Now, I don't imagine God going, yeah, you beast. I don't think God's doing that. How dare? No. But this is Asaph just going, God, like, you ever been there? Where, like, you have a truth of God revealed to you, and you're like, how, what, God? I'm, I was questioning that for the one billionth time. I'm like a beast, okay? <laughs> I was foolish for doing that, God, as he enlightens his eyes. Now, check this out. He has a moment of clarity. This is where we close. He has a moment of clarity about God. Stay in the moment here. There's a moment of clarity about God. He says, nevertheless, despite how much I struggle, despite how much I fall short, he says, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. So I, I love this man. He begins with like, God, I know you're good, but where the heck are you? And he's just kind of trapped in this cycle of wrestling and, and, and wondering like, how do I reconcile these two things that I'm seeing of God, you're good, but this is what's happening. And then he begins to, 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 to kind of feel bad and convicted about his unbelief. And then it just kind of wraps up and going, nevertheless, I love that. Nevertheless, here's what's true. And I love this. He goes, I am continually with you. That's what he said. I am continually with you. The language there literally means we're together. It's not just like you're over there and I'm with you. God, I'm with you, and you're with me, and I, and I want you to know that. I, I think some people just need to be reminded of that today, that you're not alone in your wrestle. Like God, God has been there every step of the way, watching you, waiting, leading, teaching. He's, he's with you. Not only is he with me, he's holding you by your right hand. You know, I think of, like, my youngest, Penny. She's three now. When she was two and she was first learning, learning to walk, have you ever tried to walk, like, by the right hand, a, a toddler? Like, so if I'm going from here to there, like, because of me, I know we're going to get there, but we're not going to be doing a beeline by any stretch of the imagination. We're going to step on every tile in this room before we get there. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, all right, it's like, 
It's going this way. We might even go backwards, you know, like, but, but, but I have her by the right hand. And so, you know, this is, by the way, this is not how God leads us. God doesn't go, you know what I'm saying? Like dragging us. The Lord just kind of walks with us. He's like, here you are. You're struggling. It's okay. Come on. Come back this way. Now you're kind of going off course again. It's all right. I'll walk with you. I'm patient. I'm slow to anger. I'm here. He kind of brings us back. And this is what, what Asaph is saying about the Lord. He's like, God, all along the way here as I'm struggling, I recognize that you're with me. You've been holding my right hand, and you're guiding me with your counsel. And in the end, God, you're going to receive me into your glory. He ends with a conclusive moment of reflection. And I love this. This is where Psalm 73 gets most um, of its favor from. Whom have I in heaven but you? Here's his conclusion. You can only come to this conclusion when you wrestle with this, by the way. This is only for those that have really wrestled to find this, to be able to say this. This is the goal of the Christian life. This conclusion, God, whom have I in heaven but you? First conclusion, at the end of the day, God, you're all that I have. Next, there's none upon earth that I desire besides you. He says, God, you're all that I want. This is where he comes to. And then lastly, my flesh and my heart, they fail. We sang that, didn't we? On a daily, regular basis. But God, you're all I need. You are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Even in the wrestle, you're everything I need. You're everything I need. Amen? Amen.